Good afternoon, and welcome to Smithfried Everhard's The Briefing. Today is September 30th, 2021. My name is Cliff Wilson, and today's The Briefing, we're going to be talking about a recent Oregon Supreme Court case that actually uh, relates to an underinsured motorist litigated lawsuit that's been to the Supreme Court once before and actually stems from three times in front of a trial court. The case is Wright v. Turner, 368-OR-207, the 2021 opinion. The Oregon Supreme Court got two bites of the apple in the case of Wright v. Turner in a second appeal to the Oregon Supreme Court in the saga of Wright 1, Wright 2, and Wright 3, which uh, denotes the three times this case has been tried to the trial court. The Supreme Court in this case addressed whether the underlying liability of negligent drivers determines the limits of the plaintiff's underinsured motorist coverage. In this case, or in this opinion, the court also examined whether jury can be permitted to conclude that it could not apportion the plaintiff's damages between two accidents, and whether the jury could decide, as a matter of fact, that the plaintiff's injuries were caused by the concurrence of two different accidents. In this case, the Oregon Supreme Court ultimately decided that, one, the underlying liability of negligent drivers did not determine the limits of plaintiff's UIM coverage. Two, the jury could properly conclude that it could not apportion damages between two different accidents. And three, the jury was permitted, but not required, to find that both accidents caused plaintiff's injuries under settled principles of causation in Oregon. The facts of this case are somewhat unique, but in in right three, uh, this is the second appeal of the case to make it in front of the Oregon Supreme Court. And ultimately, it relates to an uninsured, underinsured motorist claim resulting from a 2004 multi-vehicle automobile accident. On the date of the accident, the plaintiff, Martha Wright, was the passenger of a vehicle struck by John Turner's car. After that collision, the vehicle the plaintiff was in came to a stop on the highway's median strip, resting against a concrete barrier. As plaintiff reached for her phone to call 911 because of the accident with Turner's vehicle, another car, this one driven by Sherry Oliver, struck the back of plaintiff's vehicle. Now, Turner and Oliver both admitted liability and settled their claims for their respective policy limits. In the first right case, right number one, plaintiff pursued a lawsuit against her underinsured motorist carrier, Mutual of Enumclaw Insurance. MOE conceded that both Turner and Oliver had been negligent, and the only issue before the jury in the original case was the amount of damages that plaintiff incurred. In 2009, a jury awarded plaintiff $979,540 in damages, less $175,000 that was paid to plaintiff by Turner and Oliver previously. Plaintiff's policy with MOE had a per-accident policy limit of $500,000. MOE argued that only one accident occurred in this incident, and as a result, the policy only required MOE to pay a single payment of its policy limits to fully satisfy the judgment. 
the trial court disregarded MOE's argument that only one accident occurred and entered judgment for plaintiff for the total amount of the damages awarded by the jury, less the offsets. MOE appealed. The Oregon Court of Appeals examined the policy language and reversed the trial court. Plaintiff appealed to the Oregon Supreme Court. The Oregon Supreme Court concluded that the number of accidents was a question for the jury to decide and reversed the Oregon Court of Appeals. On remand to the trial court, the trial court allowed the jury to determine whether there were two separate accidents. Additionally, the trial court asked the jury to decide if an apportionment of plaintiff's damages between the two accidents was even possible. The jury found that there were two accidents and that apportionment of plaintiff's damages between the two was impossible. MOE appealed, and the Oregon Court of Appeals reversed the trial court. Plaintiff then appealed that decision, and the case found its way to the Oregon Supreme Court again. So in this latest appeal to the Oregon Supreme Court, the concept of tortfeasors, of a tortfeasor's legal liability is distinct from the question of whether one or two accidents occurred. Oregon uninsured and underinsured motorist statutes anticipate that UIM and UM coverage and benefits are subject to policy limits. Former ORS 742.502 sub 2 sub A governs the policy limits and provided at the time that a motor vehicle bodily injury liability policy shall have the same limits for uninsured motorist coverage as for bodily injury liability coverage unless a named insured in the writing elects lower coverage. Determining that coverage has been triggered and the benefits it provides is a different determination than whether an insured's policy places limits on the recovery of those benefits and what those limits are. The terms of a policy include limits on the insurer's liability. The terms of the coverage do not under Oregon comparative fault statutes, when a trier of fact determines that multiple defendants are negligent and that the conduct of each was a, quote, cause in fact, end quote, of the plaintiff's harm, the trier of fact is then required to determine the relative fault of the defendants and to apportion the plaintiff's damages between them on that basis. Comparative fault is different than comparative causation. Oregon's comparative fault statute does not, quote, call for apportioning damages by quantifying the contribution of several causes that had to coincide to produce the injury, end quote. Oregon law recognizes instances in which two causes concur to bring about an event. The negligence of two tortfeasors could be the cause of indivisible harm to the plaintiff, even though, generally speaking, in negligence actions, termination of causation between defendants is several, not joint. When determining whether the trial court erred in giving a particular jury instruction, the appellate courts do not view that instruction in isolation. The court, quote, reads the instructions as a whole to determine whether they stated the law accurately. When insurance policies base their policy language on statutes, the court then interprets the legislative intent behind the statute instead of the intent of the parties to the policy. Here, the language in plaintiff's UIM policy with MOE mirrored the language in ORS 742.504 sub 7 sub A. 
Therefore, to determine the UIM policy limits, the court, quote, attempts to determine the legislature's intention in enacting the statute rather than the party's contractual intentions in entering into an insurance contract. So the analysis the Oregon Supreme Court applied basically examined three issues in this case. Number one, whether the underlying liability of the drivers necessarily determines the limits of plaintiff's UIM benefits. Number two, whether the trial court erred in instructing the jury that it could find that the damages could not be apportioned between the collision with Turner and the collision with Oliver. And number three, whether the jury was permitted to find that both accidents caused plaintiff's injuries without apportioning damages between those two accidents. As to the first issue, the Supreme Court stated that determining whether coverage has been triggered and the benefits it provides are different determinations than the determination of whether an insured's policy limits recovery of those benefits and what those limits are. The Supreme Court held that plaintiff's recovery was limited to $500,000 for damages, quote, resulting from any one automobile accident. The fact that both Turner and Oliver were liable for plaintiff's injuries did not decide whether her damages resulted from one or two accidents. The court ultimately concluded that the liability of Turner and Oliver established that they acted negligently and that their negligent conduct caused plaintiff's injuries. But that did not necessarily prove that all of plaintiff's damages resulted from more than one of the accidents that occurred. It is factually possible, the court determined, that the accident involving Turner caused different injuries than Oliver's accidents caused. Therefore, the underlying liability of the drivers did not determine plaintiff's UIM limits and, and MOE's obligations under, the, under that policy. Next, the court considered whether the trial court erred in permitting the jury to determine whether two separate accidents occurred and whether it was possible for the jury to apportion plaintiff's damages between those two accidents. According to the court, had the issue been the tortfeasor's liability, Oregon's comparative fault statutes would apply, and plaintiff's damages would be apportioned according to the party's fault. MOE argued that the trial court should have told the jury that it was required to apportion damages if it found that there were two accidents, and that the court erred by allowing the jury to find that that was impossible to apportion damages. Apportioning damages, according to MOE, would limit plaintiff's UIM benefits according to fault. The court looked at the legislative intent behind the phrase, quote, resulting from any one accident in ORS 742-504 sub 7 sub A, on which plaintiff's UIM policy language with MOE was based. The court determined that the legislature intended to limit the recovery of damages that are caused by any one accident. The court held that the trial court did not err in instructing the jury using causation concepts because Oregon law recognizes that there are instances in which two causes concur to bring about an event so that the injuries from the two events are indivisible. The Supreme Court concluded that the trial court correctly instructed the jury that it could find, as a matter of fact, the number of accidents that had occurred and whether the cause of plaintiff's injuries could be separated between them. 
So the big picture here is that the decision of the Oregon Supreme Court specifically delineated the difference between causation and fault, at least for the purpose of the determination of UM or UIM policy limits and tortfeasor liability. When tortfeasor liability is admitted, that does not necessarily mean that causation is also proven, but that those issues are factual determinations properly decided by the jury. So really the big picture in this case is uh, this was a, a underlying accident that had two close in time accidents from two separate tortfeasors. Now the damages were fairly severe and so the question became in addition to the tortfeasors liability policies and limits, how much of the UIM coverage would be available under Moe's UIM policy. What Mutual Venom Claw was trying to say is that, look, we've got a $500,000 per occurrence limit, and that should be the cap or the maximum amount that's available to its insured uh, as a result of an accident that happened so quickly or so close in time. The first court uh, decided what the total amount of damages were. The jury put that number together. Uh, and then MOE said, well, our $500,000 cap should should apply and we shouldn't have to pay any more than that. And the trial court in the first case said, no, I'm going to apply the whole amount. That's when it went up to appeal, uh, went to the court of appeals, and then it ended up in the Supreme Court and sent back down to the trial, trial court with instructions from the Supreme Court to allow the jury to determine how many accidents there were for the purposes of determining how many per occurrence limits from MOE's policy would apply to the underinsured motorist coverage. Uh, that was determined, but it was determined kind of unusually by the trial court when the jury said, we can't distinguish between the damages caused by accident one and accident two, and we believe there were two accidents. The effect of that was that MOE's UIM coverage would be triggered twice, and potentially, depending on how the damages were allocated, two different $500,000 UIM policies would be triggered. MOE was fine with that so long as the jury made a determination in that right to case of how that uh, damages would be distributed between the two. And when the trial court allowed the jury to conclude that it couldn't divide the two is, is when MOE decided to appeal. It got back up to the Supreme Court again, and the, the Supreme Court said there are instances when two different causes, two separate accidents in this case, could uh, concur to make damages that are otherwise indivisible. And so for that reason, this is because it's a UIM case, this is very different than what would likely happen if this case uh, was being tried against the tortfeasors themselves. But the Supreme Court ultimately held that uh, MOE had triggered two different UIM policies and that they would be obligated to pay under both of them. All right, well, that sums up what we think is probably the last word in the Wright v. Turner saga. Uh, thank you for joining us today on The Briefing. 